it's that time of the week again. Gunshot, 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 gunshot. Everybody get up. It's time to slam now. I wish we got a Halloween installment of Space Jam. Or at least like a TV special. Untapped potential. Really, dude. I think that they should make like another digital Space Jam where LeBron goes into the computer, but instead of LeBron, it's like Jack Skellington. Anyway, hello. Welcome back to They Made Another One. Where each week we discuss an off-forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. Me? Who, me? I'm one of yours, Corey. With me. I've got... I forgot to say my quote, so now I've just... I've, I've given the gag away. Now Liam gets to get first quote. Maybe he'll take mine. Liam, you're up. Liam? I don't want to live till tomorrow if you're the kind of man I'm going to be. You went far more serious than I intend on doing. So we're clear. Mitch? Mitch is also here. In the words of Jerry, it takes a real man to wear puce. Fuck! Did he get you? That sounds like a Corey quote. I had a puce-related quote, and it's been no. fucking ruined, dude. Ah, oh, fuck. What else do I got, even? Shit. I might not have another one down. That was the only part of the movie that, that caught Corey's eye. Oh, fuck. The rest was just innocence tear. Shit. I guess, okay, I do have seriously a mochaccino written down, but only because I just noted that that was a very 2011 line for a movie to have. Yeah, there's some good, there's some good 2011 relics in this movie. Yeah, big time. Some timestamps. So, it's not my pick this week because it was my pick last week, and what I went with was the remake of Fright Night. We're established Fright Night fans on this podcast, I think. We've talked about it more than once. I mean, we talked about Fright Night 2 on the podcast, and then since then, it's kind of been a thing. You think it's come up on the podcast? I can never really keep track about the stuff that comes up offhand. I've mentioned it at least a couple of times. And and Nosferatu, it was mentioned in passing as a vampire film that we visited on the podcast, I think. But I don't know if, if... that's like loomed large i think if anything i think peter vincent's maybe been referenced once or twice but otherwise nay yeah you know what Corey? i think you should catch up people on on where you're at with fright night because uh last on the last episode we did on fright night you know i said that i watched the original before we checked out the sequel and i loved it and i said i really think you guys got to watch this movie and you've seen it since then so you should talk about it well we watched it number two for the podcast when in cold as established uh fright night 2 is pretty good you know it's one of the better movies that we've done in sort of the widest scope sense because mm. we've watched some real dog shit so i think that it made a really good impression on us for the most part and mm. i was really impressed by it and it got me stoked to see the first one and then liam we actually saw it together you and i and uh mutual friend and roommate of times past and present Brogo went to one of our local theaters, the Mayfair, sat on a couch up in the balcony and, and watched Fright Night number Uno. And uh, that movie's fucking incredible. I was like beside myself with how good that movie was. I bought it immediately. I have the Blu-ray of Fright Night. It was like a transformational, like Nightmare on Elm Street-esque experience where I was like, 
the fuck was I waiting for? Like I waited forever to get to something that has a reputation. Surely they do have different ones, but it's just such a quintessentially mid eighties movie. And it's got this incredible aesthetic and these really fun performances. And it's like really, really, really horny, like really, really strangely horny. You like that. eh? And the music's really good. And it's got a unique premise that's executed on in a cool way. And, uh, you know, Roddy McDowell is there. Fright Night One is awesome. It it rocketed up my my favorite '80s horror charts with with great speed. Um, so I was very excited to get to this for a variety of reasons, not least of which that. Um, I'll just segue into this part now because I didn't mention it, I believe, last week. But another thing that was weird about my relationship with Fright Night and the remake is that when I was a teenager, like early teenager, um, we had the DVD in my house for like several years of the remake of Fright Night. Like I, we just had it. Um, and I would have been like, you know, like 14, 15, 16 kind of window of time. I just never watched it. I would see it around and I like, I know the cover like burned into my brain and I just never watched it. So now that I've gone through this roundabout process of getting to Fright Night movies, I'm excited to wrap that up. Do you know how it got to your house? Did you invite it in or? um somebody must have if i didn't i don't remember inviting it in i think it was just sort of there just wondering if you have any closeted fright night fans in your in your family i mean the only person i can think of i don't think it was my sister so surely if anybody got it it must have been my mom you don't think she's a colin farrell fan i feel like that's enough to get to get someone who my sister any, my anyone mom? yeah you know your I sister mean, your sister I mean, I, I I'm willing to assume that they're Colin Farrell fans. Uh, but I don't I don't think she was buying DVDs was sort of the mm. bigger issue. It's a legacy franchise, though, like one of the ones that I think has appeal with like our parents' generation. You know, being like a, a big '80s movie. Yeah, I think it's more likely that my mom bought our DVD copy of the 2011 remake of the hit film *Fright Night*. Yeah, we got to get her on the pod. I'll ask. I mean, I don't know if she even really remembers the process of this all, but I can ask and see what she says. Stay tuned for updates. I wait with bated breath. Well, you're going to be baiting a while. <laughs> if you know what I Mitch mean. Mitch is used to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Likes to take his time. Edging. Um, so that's my sort of Fright Night experience. That was my Frightful Night uh liam you said obviously that you had watched it around the time we did the podcast initially yeah the original yeah 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 um yeah i watched it right before the first one i had similar experience to you i just i loved it um i thought this is such a charming um cool movie to live in uh amazing monster effects some really peculiar villain performances uh evil ed in that movie um who is the, the you know the mclovin character in this one gives one of the weirdest performances i've ever He's seen so and I, en- I ended up loving it um it has an amazing werewolfy transformation um you know because it, it, it goes into that lore where vampires are kind of werewolfy um and it's also just like a really great coming of age uh, suburban american tale and i love those so I, I loved fright night um i loved seeing it in the theater as well and uh i was excited to watch to watch this one 
there was nowhere near enough people in that theater. It was a relatively quiet outing. It it is, yeah. And sometimes that happens for big movies at the this theater. But also, I th- I think Fright Night doesn't really get its due. That original one. I mean, people know the title. It's such a catchy title. People know the poster, but. I never really hear people actually talking about the movie and uh, or, or so putting it on good. lists of good movies from from that time. I think it slips through the cracks, even though it's obviously well known and, and was was popular at the time. I think it it slips through the cracks a little bit. That's a shame. It is. That's, yeah, it that's is a just shame. too bad. Yeah, but it, it definitely has it has its uh, it has its big fans out there, and that's why it was able to get released on Blu-ray and yeah, me. and get this remake and stuff. <laughs> I'm the guy. I was late to the party, but I'm the guy. Um, had you seen? I'll just do this now. Had you seen the remake before today? Yeah, yeah, I saw this one in theaters. Um, cool. Like a, I mean, of course, I <laughs> uh, would have been. I don't know, ninth grade, tenth grade. I went with friend of the show, Keiki, actually. Um, Legendary move. I asked Keiki, I sent him a message. I said, do you remember anything about Fright Night 2011? Keiki often has a really good memory with movies. Um, and he said, not a, not a goddamn thing. So you don't remember he, anything. He totally forgot it. And I was mostly in the same boat. I mean, it was a movie that I remembered going to see. So I haven't completely forgotten it. And I'm sure there's some movies that I have completely forgotten that I saw. Um, But I I remember getting excited for this movie, not because I knew about the franchise, because I don't I don't think I did. In fact, when this was announced, um, you know, and trailers were happening, that might have been how I learned that this is a remake i might have just like read a line on the wikipedia page but but i had no clue i I hadn't heard of that original movie and so i was just going into this as a teenager looking to see a horror movie on a friday night the newest horror movie um and my memory of it is that uh it was mostly unremarkable pretty pretty uh pretty bland it it wasn't a movie that i came away um disliking and i know that but i also uh didn't give it much thought afterwards it was just a movie i went and saw and you know we talked we talked about it on the walk home but uh it it didn't really stick around for us there were no lines in this movie that i realized that we were quoting after seeing like uh some movies nobody was talking about use no, no. So it it this was just a movie that kind of came and went like movies do sometimes. Um, and so for that reason, I, I really was excited to watch it again, um, especially because now I've seen the original. But also it's been like 11 years since I've seen this movie. That's a lot of time. It was uh, it still kind of feels like a new movie to me. But, you know, it, it to- totally isn't. That would have been like uh, at that time, you know, seeing a movie at, at, from the year 2000. Um which is, it seems like a big gap. And so 2011 to 2022, it's a big gap. And I was excited to, to see um, what I missed, what I've forgotten, how I feel about it now. My, my movie tastes have changed a lot in the last 11 years. So I was really excited to see this again. And Mitch, I guess you can give both just a, a quick Fright Night life sure. experience sampler and if you had seen this before today or anything like that. So my experience with the Fright Night franchise really hasn't changed that much since our last episode. I still actually haven't seen the original, um, which a lot of people say is sad. Gosh, you're fucking up so bad, dude. I'm I'm sorry. Um, I am upping my Halloween 
horror movie quota this month. I've watched two today. I watched three horror movies yesterday. I'm I am watching. So it's gonna and be, none of them were Fright Night. What's on the list? It's on the list. I assure you. Um, could have done but, a twofer. It's gonna happen. You could have watched them simultaneously. Couldn't do a twofer today. I watched The Stepfather earlier uh, this morning slash early afternoon. Oh, who and am I? Great. Amazing. Uh, that was one of Liam's wrecks, and I really liked it. Um, but so anyway, back on back on task though. So not really much of an experience with the with the franchise, but I have seen the second one, so I guess I kind of get the formula of the franchise, where it's like vampire. Nobody will believe that. Peter Vincent save the day, right? And then you know, sprinkle in some love, sprinkle in your buds, and some uh high school humor and you've got a you've got a recipe there um so yeah i no experience this one i didn't see it back in the day i can remember people in school talking about it i think my dad even wanted to go and see this one with me but i couldn't make it for some reason and we never went to see it um but i do uh I do remember it coming up, but I never went to see it. So minimal experience with the franchise. And uh, although I guess I've seen two now, but um, I didn't see it when it came out. So I'm kind of kind of a, a clean slate and untarnished from the original, too, I guess. Uh, like, I don't have that that uh, perception to kind of warp my appraisal of this movie. Uh, what else have you been watching? Because I know Liam actually wanted to get into that. And I sort of bowled over it completely. But you oh. mentioned you're going absolutely horror movie wild. Yeah, I've been going wild. Uh, I saw Barbarian the other night, uh, which was wonderful. Um, I watched... Yeah. Oh, talk about shaming people for not seeing movies. Corey, you gotta see Barbarian. Oh my gosh. Is yeah. it only in theaters or is it streaming? Do I, but do I have to pay like $30 to see it streaming? Uh, I, I heard that it's coming to HBO Max on October 25th. So I don't know what that means for us in Canada. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we have HBO Max. Here. That means it's going to Crave. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I saw uh, No Roy, The Curse. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's a Japanese movie found. No for- Roy, but no. we're watching Jaws. Um, so that was really good from like the 2000s. <laughs> we both enjoyed that. That's a really um, cool movie. I watched Tetsuo, the Iron Man, in the Criterion sort of 80s collection the other night with Cameron. And God, was, I want to see that so bad. That what was such a for? fucked up movie. It's not long. It's a pretty brisk watch, um, but it's a harrowing watch. Really fucked up. Like really, I think strong example of like body horror. Um, I haven't even heard of that. What's it about? Uh, it's about like a, a man who's like slowly transforming into a machine, and like that's like a, a murderous machine that like kills the people he loves, and his people, the people he loves, are also kind of like transforming, and it's just like this grotesque. Uh, movie of like twisted metal and broken flesh <laughs> yeah it's like a fucked up body horror yeah very like industrial kind of thing from the that 80s like, cool kind of like an anti-industrial uh movie in a lot of like, ways he's or... turning into a metal man and that's fucked up because like yeah. the industrial revolution was bad a film that is deeply mistrusting of modernity um so yeah it's an interesting film and then i watched the keep i watched um prince of darkness i watched road games i watched the fan so those were all on, on uh, the criterion 80s thing um i rewatched opera by dario argento so yeah there's, there's been a whole bunch of things I've, I've been seeing and i'm so i'm really 
up in those numbers. And there's more to come. I asked a bunch of my friends for recommendations, so I'm, I'm going down the list. Is there anything you're, you're particularly excited about that you have planned? Well, all the ones that you recommended seem really cool. I don't remember the one of, about, oh God, let me just pull up the name of it. Um, it's about the, the guy who does, it's a, a slasher about the guy who does the classic film impressions. I'm like, that's... Oh yeah, Fade to Black. Yes, that's it. Yeah. yeah. That one looks great. I've so also... it's a movie about Mitch then? or Oh yeah, yeah. Mitch is going to see himself <laughs> in this, I think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to I'm trying to get those numbers up. Listeners, if you have a movie that you want me to watch, write in, send us an email, and I will get to it this month. I'm I'm consuming more films than I have in, in a long time. Awesome, you're on a yeah. roll. Love yeah, it. I don't intend to stop. I'm trying to like do like two a day, one or two a day, if I can. How do you have time for that? I used to do three. You stay up uh, when I was doing three, I was when I was also like in in uh, film class, so I was also watching a lot that way. Oh well, yeah, I mean, you're, yeah. you know, that's like juicing, basically. Yeah, it is, <laughs> it's it is not gaming, not even natty, bro. Gaming the system a bit, but not not even natty light, bro. So, yeah. Liam, what have you been watching? Then you wanted to talk talk ch- ch- talk about. <laughs> sorry, talk about <laughs> <laughs> talk about the movies. Yeah. Um. I watched uh, a movie called Satan's Little Helper that I've been wanting to watch for years. It came I out in that 2004. Dog. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's often on lists of like uh, underseen horror movies, Halloween horror movies. And so I've always wanted to watch it in October, which is, you know, if I miss my window, then I miss it. And so I've been missing it for so many years. And so I finally managed to watch it. It's a really dark, like, dark as in like kids are dying and like old ladies are getting hit and stuff um it was a satirical low budget movie about this kid who um is really into a, a video game called satan's little helper and so he dresses up like a little satan and he just really wants to be an aide to satan and he runs into a uh, a masked killer in the neighborhood. Um, he doesn't know that the dude is actually killing people, um, and he and he really wants to be this dude's helper. And so they go on some adventures together. And people die along the way, and then the kid gets in over his head. And um, it's a really peculiar movie. It kind of has the same vibe as like Jack Frost, Jack Frost Two, um, where like, it's like uh, the snowman the, movie we watched. The thing that we did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, where it's 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 very irreverent, um, silly, uh, but also like kind of deranged and evil. It's it's really it was really interesting. I I quite liked it. And then, um, I followed that up with a rewatch of a movie called Terrifier. Uh, you guys might have been hearing about the sequel that just came out, and I'm yeah. dying to see it. And I would love to do it on the pod, but I don't think there's a way to watch it in Canada yet. Um, well, we'll but, watch it eventually if it's any good. Yeah, so I watched Terrifier. That was a rewatch for me, and that is a really twisted, dark, unsettling movie. Not just in terms of gore; it's 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 like a splatter film. With it's basically just a slasher, but it shows a whole lot of the dismemberment and stuff. Um, but that's not the only thing that makes it creepy. Also, the acting is just kind of off, but it it feels like it's supposed to be sincere most of the time. Um, it's color corrected like really harshly all the way through 
Um, and so it just it just has this kind of really seedy uh, vibe to it. It's it's sort gutter of, ballsian. It's it's gutter ballsian. It's also like the driller killer or like the New York Ripper maniac from from the eighties. Like yeah, the, yeah. It just it just has that seedy kind of New York feel to it. That grain, but it's been updated, so it's not grainy. It's like really modern day sleek but still feels dirty and then it, it has some direct uh 80s references in there in its framing device and like the way the title card looks and huh. it's 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 a pretty divisive movie i liked it more the second time than the first time it's so mean um and so the first time i i wasn't i didn't i didn't have fun with it and i was watching it with some friends and i think we were looking for more fun than i than i was getting out of it um is it supposed to be fun or is it uh i think so i think it's supposed to be you know you're having fun with the gore and and everything but it's also it's it's hardly like a comedy horror you know like the satan's little helper which i just talked about is is much more of a like you can tell that the filmmakers are are telling a joke and they're in on it whereas terrifier it to me it mostly feels pretty serious um it's it's campy but it it feels like it's supposed to be pretty serious and so it's kind of a a dirty film um but i i I really liked it more the second time around knowing what i was in for um and i also i think i've just over the last few years i've grown even more into being charmed by low budget movies where i can kind of feel the filmmakers working around and trying to to create something unique and this is really is a unique movie um so that was nice to watch again and it's also halloween based so um yeah twitter is going absolutely fucking bananas for terrifier too you mentioned like a couple of low rent kind of like 70s 80s movies like the driller killer and i think we've mentioned that movie in passing like when we did slumber party massacre but um I, I've always wanted to know, like, what do you what do you think of that movie? Have you have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, I have seen it. I I really like it. I I um I I lump it in with movies like kind of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah. Um. You know, like Henry is a bit more dramatic and I think a bit more well put together, but they still are the same kind of movies where they just kind of get under my skin and they make me feel like I am in that place in New York with a crowd that I would hopefully never get immersed in. And so I just think it's a the driller killer is just like a, a, a really cool um, window mm-hmm. into another life. I really like it. What do you think of it? I, I think it's an interesting movie. I, it kind of reminds me of basket case too, or like um, mm-hmm. uh, just like, I think it's a, an interesting movie. I don't think it's one I'm like dying to see again because it's kind of like a difficult watch um, and kind of like a, like a like an unpleasant watch, even though like uh, the central character um, is so amicable. I think it's is it it's played by Abel Ferrara, I think. Yeah, maybe? yeah. Who's also yeah. the director, right? So yeah. uh, very like unpleasant character, but also like has like some weirdly like charming aspects too. And there's that duality there. It's a, it's a weird movie for sure very much a 70s kind of gross out look definitely yeah essential if you're if you're like into exploitation movies i think definitely yeah and i think terrifier is kind of that way as well i would be curious to hear what you guys think of it and i'm 
amazed and uh, excited that Terrifier 2 is getting the response it is because it's all made the a bunch of money. Yeah, all the cards were stacked against that movie. I've been hearing that it's happening for three or four years. It kept stopping and starting um, because of COVID, I think. And it was also a kickstarted movie. So you start hearing about those movies um, long before they ever start filming. And so it just felt like it was taking forever. And then it was picked up by Bloody Disgusting. They were going to put it out, um, which is which is unique. And they revealed that it's it's going to be over two hours long. And I think I think it's like two hours and 18 minutes or something that might set the record for the longest slasher movie of all time and it's it was going to theaters which is so unique and um the first movie as i recall over the last five years since it came out it has been like the sort of um uh what would you call it like the the whipping boy the uh it's it's just like been beat up by people. Um, it it is not it is not Pervert, got like, like the, constantly dunked on basically. Like yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it has a few people that really like it. Um, well, it has a lot of people that really like it. But it's such a a hardcore movie. Um, and it's such a low budget and so easy to write off. And so it got a whole lot of hate. And I and I understand why. And so. I am shocked that Terrifier 2 is coming around and like everyone is talking about it and and giving it praise. Um I think that's it's just so so cool and that's why I rewatched the movie. I I've, I've been wanting to check it out again, but now I know that I'm going to see Terrifier 2 right when I can get the chance. So I wanted to make sure I was prepped and refresh myself on Terrifier. So that's a re- it's a really cool um burgeoning franchise we're watching being created here and such an iconic character that clown and so uh, i would i would guess we're going to see a lot more of him going forward also and in much the same way that sometimes you hear a band name and you go how was that not a band already um the fact that terrifier wasn't taken because that title is so good (laughs) that it's like damn you guys can use that yeah yeah i I don't know how they came up with that um it's a really good title yeah what about you, Corey? What have you seen? Um, only two that really count for horror movie October times. But uh, one is one that Mitch already mentioned, which is The Keep, uh, which is great if you love movies that are uh, completely incomprehensible. Um, I would Sound would look nice, though. I would recommend watching The Keep if you want to watch a movie that you can potentially click with on a vibe level. Um and yet you don't really know what's happening or why or really who anybody totally is. Um, but it does look great. Uh, the soundtrack's by Tangerine Dream. It slaps. Uh, the effects are cool. It's also just a uniquely kind of strange horror movie gimmick and also early Michael Mann. It's just weird that he did this movie at all. Um, weird politics colliding in that movie too like it's it's almost impossible to figure out what the movie is trying to say or like it's, it's yeah sort of it's got a weird because it's, it's it's set in 1941 you're following your protagonists are nazis and then two jewish people and d- despite that it's sort of yeah it's very strange uh but it's worth watching and the cast is really good as well um and then I watched Near Dark, which is both of these are in the Criterion 80s thing. Near Dark, if you don't know, is um, a horror western about vampires. And it also has a soundtrack by Tangerine Dream. 
and a holy shit, that movie is good. Is it like From Dusk Until Dawn? I've, I've never seen, seen like, that, so I have no mentioned. idea. Is it a horror western about vampires? Yeah, it's it's, a, it's like a Tarantino written western with Robert Rodriguez starring Tarantino and George Clooney, and they're two criminals on the run, and then they wind up at like a biker. Uh, uh I I guess I guess. Um, so in Near Dark, I'll keep this quick. Um, there's just like this kid, like well, he's like he's an adult, but like this young guy wants to go hit on a girl and gets turned into a vampire by her and gets inducted into this like roving family of like southern vampires like Lance Hendrickson has a rat tail and he fought for the south in the civil war and Mm. Bill Paxton is this like completely unhinged like leather jacket clad like biker cool guy vampire giving one of the wildest performances I've ever seen he's fucking incredible Mm -hmm. um and he's trying to like push back against being in these just like fucked circumstances and having to come to grips with you know uh oh I'm a vampire now seems bad don't love it while his family is looking for him and you know it does a really interesting mashup of like vampire tropes with western tropes like at one point there's a shootout in a motel but because it's happening during the day um you know they're putting bullet holes in the walls because the police are shooting but the sunlight that comes through the bullet holes is like an added threat and it's such a cool dynamic for a scene like that to have and it's got that like kind of clever smart perspective on on it throughout and it looks great and the performances are all awesome the lead actor is a guy i was not familiar with um and i don't know how much he did after this but i liked him a lot um i'd say the weakest thing is that the main like couple you don't super buy it Mm. to me but like everything else around it's really really cool and then again another soundtrack by tangerine dream that totally like whips so yeah i'm definitely gonna seek it out just for the soundtrack and tangerine i mean that all sounds great but like i was already you're sold seeking when it out you for said anything, tangerine dream right like so. it, it's difficult to overstate how good bill paxton is okay i know everybody praises that part but like it's for a reason um he's like on another planet in that movie Oh, I just want to. Um, I think I said from dusk till dawn was George a. Romero, but I meant to say Robert Rodriguez. You said Robert Rodriguez. Did I? You're okay, good. good. You okay. did. You're set, <laughs> buddy boy. I don't know. Sometimes you're like, why did what? I think that was a Sam Raimi movie? I don't did know. He make, I, did he make it, a movie like that? <laughs> it has a, that kind of a vibe, maybe in a way. It's kind of goofy and it's got a wild. Did Raimi twist. ever make a western though, or am I just an idiot? <laughs> uh, did he? I'm asking you. I'm I the guy who the met one. Ted Raimi. Maybe I should know. I met him too. Uh, well, I met him three. He made the quick and the dead, actually. I was thinking of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is totally different, but it's got a close enough name. Not really. I was just wrong. I appreciate you trying to throw me a bone there, but I was just wrong. Yeah. Um. You know what else is a horror movie with a good name that also is in like a desert location? Fright Night. Mm-hmm. How's that for a segue? Pretty good. How about those apples in the pie that Liam made? I hate that pie? desert. The desert that this is I, set in. I love the dessert no that is pies. Mm-hmm. Is pie a dessert? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, well, what else would it be? What do you think? Well, I don't know. Like... Yeah, Not everything that's a snack is a dessert. So you're saying that you, you think pie is a snack, but you weren't sure if it's a dessert? 
Well, I just I guess like you can make kinds of pie that aren't desserts is maybe a better point for me to have tried to make. Like what? Like a like a meat pie? Like shepherd's pie isn't a dessert. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. For example. Or a quiche. Right, but I also don't even know that shepherd's pie is a pie. Quiche is more of a pie than a key, than a shepherd's, shepherd's pie. pie. But it's not called a pie, so it's less of a pie. Yeah, but shepherd's pie is just like fucking Shepherd's meat pie is as much of a pie as anything else. Uh, it's no. got crust. Yes. No, 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 no usually I don't I mean, think it does. mac and cheese has crust too. It's just because no, the you, pan you cook it in. What do you in. mean? Does shepherd's pie serve with crust? I, I don't you know. You make it in a that crust. Way. That's what just... it is. That's why it's pie. All right. I'm seeing how there's a crust. Huh. What do you mean? Whatever. <laughs> I don't know if I've had it served in a crust like normal. I think it's I, always I... got that. <laughs> no, no, no. Me and me and Mitch come from the same shepherd's pie upbringing where it doesn't have a crust. I'm with I you, just, Mitch. It has a potato top, but that's not right. necessarily like that's, a pastry. That's right. Yeah. It could though. It could. I've seen it. I guess people do it that way. But well, why but, else would it be called a shepherd's pie? It's because well, I, they've made it as pie, right? What's the traditional English way? I don't know if they would probably do it with gross the pie because all traditional English food is weird. Hmm. It's got eighteen different kinds of beans in it. It's like wet for some reason. You're right, Corey. When it when it has this this crust here, that's definitely a pie. It's a pie. But, but it's the not one that dessert. me and the one that it's not a dessert, and the one that me and Mitch have is not a pie, but it's still called shepherd's pie. And it's so like I'm wondering, they should name it. It something is like else. a casserole, but which came first? That's what I want to know as well. The shepherd's yeah. delight is, is yours like a revisionist that. shepherd's pie to make it more of a traditional. Is pie? mine? I think yours is. No, why well, else would it be shepherd's pie? Yeah, maybe it is a revisionist shepherd's pie. Yeah, yeah, I think you guys, you guys, revisionist, got, bro. no, yours is. What do you no, mean? You. No. I dispute that. No, because if, if ours was a revision of shepherd's pie, then it would either be closer to a pie or it would be called something else. I think it makes sense okay, that break ours it, break was it down a shepherd's pie. And then what goes into your shepherd's pie? Break it down. Pie for starters, obviously. <laughs> like a full okay. apple. Quit being smart. Yeah. Full apple pie. Um, I mean, like, it's not about what's in it because it's like you can make a just, bunch of different kinds of just, pie. Just, just, just answer an- the just question. Just humor the man. Just answer him. Well, it's got like meat and like peas. What and, like, kind of meat? I don't fucking know. I don't make it brown. I don't know. Brown I meat? I don't know what to tell you. Is it beef, beef? I guess. Probably. Oh, then you're having a cottage pie, not a shepherd's pie. Oh, what do you mean? he walked you right into that. I so want, that so might have been a definition. That might have been a leading question. Stop, stop, stop. Guess what that would still be? A fucking pie then. Yeah. Listen, no, the yeah, argument we, that we're having is whether or not it should be a pie. <laughs> no, no, no. We, sol- we solved that a long time ago. I a told you that. pie is ground lamb. Oh. Nobody is making a shepherd's pie with <laughs> lamb on a regular basis. <laughs> You're being such a piece of shit right now. <laughs> Does, Nobody th- is making it with lamb. They haven't no. made it with lamb since the Highlander was alive. What are you talking about? Does Does the lamb one have a crust? I don't they know. They all have a crust. What do no, you they, mean? No, they don't. You're wrong. Corey, the majority of the people on this podcast say that it does not have a crust. <laughs> You're doomed. I'm Googling it right now furiously. Eight things you never knew about shepherd's pie. Okay. <laughs> it will tear your friendship apart. 
Okay. Control. I bet you didn't know that. Control F crust. Oh, I knew it. This oh, is the fourth fuck. time this has happened this to me. Bullshit. What are you oh, no. Shepherd's time? pie hails from Scotland. The original shepherd's pie were baked in pastry crusts and used leftover meats combined with fucked. savory gravy. Get fucked. It's a ah, fucking pie. However, however. When the dish made its way from Scotland to Ireland, they skipped the pastry and used their abundance of potatoes instead. It's a fucking pie. Modern day mashed potato topping. It's a pie. Well, you're, you're, I think we're seeing some kind of of an unusual hybrid going on. We abide by the Irish way. Do you have Scottish Irish heritage? Is it a no? My family's from Ireland. My dad's from Ireland. Traitors, then traitors. Look, I'm not saying that I've never had shepherd's pie that's just like the potato version. I mm. definitely have. I probably have that more regularly than I have one with a crust on it, just to be clear. Yeah. However, I won't be told that it's a, not a pie. Well, this article it's that I'm pie. reading is just called tasteofhome.com, and I don't know. Oh, now you want to backtrack because you, you were beaten. <laughs> Well, I think it could be the source. I, I think we need some some better sources. So I'm just going to keep digging. Uh, you keep digging. Uh, does does the crust one also have potatoes, or is that like totally uh, substituted? No, out? no. When they when it made its way to Ireland, they they it's got the red... 21st century Mitchell. <laughs> Listen, I'm you just trying to talk both. about pie. There's the no wicked to... witch of the east, bro. You don't need to attack my <laughs> character, bro, just because I'm talking about shepherd's pie and you're wrong. Okay, you're clearly on the run in this argument, and that's why you're. I disagree. You're attacking me because I'm different, bro. I am not on the run at all. I just won the argument, and you're trying to find alternative sources. Interesting. According to the American Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the first known use of the term was in 1854. In British usage in the 1850s, the term referred to a Scottish dish that contained a mutton and diced potato filling inside pastry crust. Neither shepherd's pie nor cottage pie was mentioned in the original edition of Mrs. Beaton's Household Management in 1861. More recently, shepherd's pie has generally been used for a potato top dish of minced lamb. According to the Oxford Companion to Food, in keeping with its name, the meat should be mutton or lamb, and it is usually cooked with meat left over from a roast. As with beef, it was commonplace in the day before refrigeration to cook a Sunday joint, a Sunday joint, to last in various guises throughout the week. So I'd like to make an argument which is that none of what you said makes me wrong <laughs> no but i'm just we're just seeing it then a, what do you mean we're what seeing a lot doing? of collisions of different ideas and contradictions but i'm right you just agreed that you didn't prove me wrong <laughs> interesting okay it's a pot. Even, we're not doing it's been fact. 45 minutes <laughs> A more elaborate version by Auguste F. Scoffier. That's the guy who made the the menus on the Titanic. Nobody's eating the fucking Titanic's version of Shepherd's Pie, though. Okay, well, then, like, forget it. If nobody cares, then I'm just going to drop it. We can get on with the movie and, uh, you know, we can make, like, a good shepherd and get the flock out of this discussion. You know what I mean? Oh, look, okay, what was your po- point about the fucking Titanic guy? But all I'm <laughs> there, saying is... There's literally no point. I'm just reading a Wikipedia article. Yeah, we're done with the, the bit's over. <laughs> the bit's been killed. I was really enjoying that. 
I win. What? No. It's not enjoyable anymore because I win. I think uh, it's. I not don't en- like being it's ganged not enjoyable up on. because I you're, like uh, you're a sore that. winner, you know. Well, you were so sure. You were so sure. I'm still I sure. I needed That's to the defend thing. myself. I'm still sure. Mitch, is this what it's like when I do this to you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but I'm going to do my research and I'll come back next episode swinging. Next episode? <laughs> no, I'm going to have like... What is this like, fucking whole... Pie-tober month? What is have... this? I mean, October is known for its its pies. I probably consume the most pies in October than any other time of the year. Agreed, yeah. yeah. December would be second up, but I think October I have the most. Can I ask another controversial question? Depends if you want the answer or not. <laughs> well, I mean, I had the answer last time, so don't even worry about it. But <laughs> is uh is fruit cake cake? No. Uh, you know, I don't I think, think I've ever actually had a fruit cake. So let me look at a picture that looks like uh it looks like a bread to me. I think like in an older sense it is. Like if you read older like sort of cake recipes. Yeah, like from what what ago, makes cake cake in like a philosophical sense. Right? Like Also I I've, think a historical sense is important to consider like, that cuz like does it need to be, to be like a, so fucking dry with like so few ingredients and now we have such an abundance that we can make these elaborate confections. But cake 100 years ago was like this miserable fucking bread thing that was sweet. Yeah, they didn't have those Heinz deep dish frozen cakes or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Those like chocolate cubes that you put in your freezer. I think this is a cake uh, upon further consideration looking at these pictures. I mean, it kind of it resembles a bread, but like there are loaf cakes. And um, yeah, I think what makes a cake, it's often to me, it's like the moistness. And I'm sorry if anyone hates that word. Um, Could you say it one more time? The, mo- the moistness. Yeah, great. Thank you. Is banana uh, yeah. bread cake? Right, the, well, no, because it's... Well, listen, that's what I was going to say. Corey, you got to stop being such a stickler about just what things are named. Is a hot dog a dog? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think banana bread, it, it's a, it can be a bread, but sometimes I make it or I have it and I'm like, this is much more of a banana cake. It's fluffier and it's mm-hmm. more moist and thick. That's your execution, though. That's not like foundationally what the thing is. No, I, I, I think like foundationally the it's... And the way that the batter comes together and the consistency of the loaf. batter, it's the same as a cake batter, really. Like, And the, the process in which you make it, it's just put in a loaf pan, and I think that's the distinction. But Otherwise, we got carrot cake, so why do we like call cake. this banana bread when we could already just go all the way? Well, if I made it in like a bunt cake pan, would that make it a cake? It would. Oh, I think what's so. A bunt yeah. ca- I don't know what that is. Sorry, that's why I didn't answer <laughs> <laughs> Bunt? Yeah, B-U-N-D-T. A silent D in there. Yeah. I don't know what that... Okay. I mean, maybe I know what that is, but I can't picture it. You haven't been cooking your shepherd's pie in bunt pans this whole time, Corey? (laughs) No wonder you're so confused. Bunt. Okay. Oh. Oh, it's the thing with the fucking thing in the middle. Yeah. the, I feel like uh, oh, I thought you were just gonna like have a totally different word for it from your family. Oh, you're talking about the flippity flam cake. <laughs> you're talking about the donut cake. You're talking about disc cake. <laughs> you're talking about ringette cake. <laughs> you're talking about gake. Um. Well, none of this has been about Fright Night. 
No. But I feel like we got to the heart of some other important issues <laughs> that have just been... This is really, like, it's giving donut now that I'm looking at all these pictures. Okay, you need to stop and we need to get on track or else we're oh, going to be oh, fighting oh, all night. Oh, oh, now I'm the guy who's off track. No, I'm just I'm just warning you that I, I feel the barometer I'm rising. This is a warning. <laughs> it's a fucking threat, bro. Threat level, fuck you. We're going to be talking about the culinary arts until the cows come home. And then <laughs> nobody's going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> fuck, I'm sorry if you're listening to this. We're 50 I'm minutes not. in. I'm not. I'm not right. sorry. I had shit that I needed to do today. Fuck that. Yeah, me too. But here we are. Dying on hills that, that don't exist. Dying on bunt-shaped hills. <sighs> it seems like you're like waiting for me to ask a provocative question or something. No. You don't want to leave. Is a hot no. dog a sandwich? No. Yes. Fuck off. Have at it. <laughs> <laughs> you're just, just, say, ding you're ding. just saying that just to argue. No, with no. Me. Fucking Google it. You Google it, you're going to find a, a few different that's, Yeah, uh, that's just going to be art people arguing. Okay. We're this not doing this. A hot dog. Mitch, I'll mute you. I'll delete your audio track in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> Fright Night 2011 is directed by Craig Gillespie. Even the language experts have issued a verdict. Miriam he Webster directed the million dollar down. arm, Lars and the Real Girl, and Mountain Dew defeated. And I intentionally did not look up what that means because those words in that order is really funny. Mountain Dew defeated. <laughs> um, the movie is written by Marty Noxon. She uh, wrote some Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She was also a producer on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, I Am Number Four, Unreal. She was also a producer on Angel and Prison Break. And then Tom Holland is a credit as well because of the original Fright Night. Uh, the movie was edited by Tatiana S. Regal, who worked on Million Dollar Arm, also with Craig Gillespie, uh, United States of Terra, which has Tony Collette in it, who will come up later. And I believe Craig Gillespie might have worked on that too. Uh, Pam and Tommy, and also Cruella. The cinematography is by Javier Aguirre-Sorobe. Aguirre-Sorobe? I don't, I don't know. Uh, they edited The Road, The Others, uh, Lyle Lyle Crocodile Now in Theaters, Thor Ragnarok, uh, Poltergeist 2015, and the second and third Twilight movies. The music is by uh, Ramin Jawadi who uh, famously did the music on Game of Thrones, or a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it, uh, and also House of the Dragon, which is on right now, uh, Blade, Trinity, uh, Westworld, Pacific Rim, Prison Break. Uh, also, I thought this movie was particularly well cast, so I was like, who's the casting director? Occasionally we'll do that, you know, we'll break the mold a little bit. Uh, you want to talk about a casting director with some fucking credits? Allow me to introduce you to Allison Jones. Um. Casting director for, among others, Freaks and Geeks, Lady Bird, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Arrested Development, Booksmart, Mid-90s, 8th Grade, Veep, Popstar, The Office, Paranorman, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, Borat, and Knocked Up. Notably all excellent casts and wow. great pulls, Extremely great guest appearances in those shows. Casts. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. 
she's like an unbelievable talent at casting. Like that list is insane. Mm-hmm. And those were select cuts. There's more. Unreal. So shout out to Allison Jones. Uh, cast of this movie. We've got uh, Anton Yelchin playing Charlie. Uh, he was in Green Room and Charlie Bartlett, which I've talked about on the podcast. Uh, Star Trek, Five to Seven, Thoroughbreds, and uh, something called The Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists, which will come up shortly. Um, Colin Farrell is uh, Jerry the Dracula uh, in Bruges, and, uh, the Lobster. Dracula, that's, that's, that's a name of a vampire. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, True Detective as well. Uh, Christopher Mintz Plass, aka McLovin, for the rest of his life, he will always be known as McLovin. Now, I was I was thinking in the car the other day. Does McLovin, the actual guy Fogel, does he have a last name in the movie? They ever say a last they name? They never for say Fogel? it. No. Well, his I think his last name is his Fogel. last name is Fogel. His name's Eric eh? Fogel, yeah. I think. Eric. Yeah. No I don't know, man. That is might be made up memory. Can you fact check that? Yeah. You're the guy who's Googling everything, so could you please fact No, check not that? Eric. Eric Fogel's a film director. Um, what, did we do one of his <laughs> movies on the podcast? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Anyway, while you're figuring that out, I'll tell you that Christopher Mintz-Plass was in Superbad. <laughs> Maybe the best movie ever. Maybe. Um, of that, we can all agree. Yeah, David Tennant plays Peter Vincent. Uh, Doctor Who... DuckTales, a movie called Nativity 2, Danger in the Manger, and The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists. So they had worked together before. Uh, speaking of people that had worked together before, uh, Imogen Poots plays Amy. She was in Green Room, which also had <laughs> Anton Yelchin in it. You're messing up the timeline, though. That was after. Sure, but they did it still. They did sure. not do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Black Christmas, Mitch's favorite movie. <laughs> Yo, um, yeah, did, did you guys see, recognize listen it? to that reaction? Or do you do you have a do you have a Fogel update, Mitch? Or what's the yo? So they don't seem to give a first name. Um, it's he doesn't have one. No. I'm gonna keep believing that Fogel is his first name then, and that they don't give him his la- a last name. Why is that better? I could just because Fogel is just a, an awesome first name to have. Um, and uh, like the teachers call him Fogel too, so I just buy it. The Fair. fact that his first name is Fogel and then he changes his name to McLovin—that's just <sighs> awesome. Did you guys recognize Imogen Poots? Oh yeah, immediately. It t- it took me it took me a minute or two. Um, I think I think since whatever point in my life I first became aware of Imogen Poots, I've had a crush on Imogen Poots, so it was pretty immediate. <laughs> Nice, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I. It took me a minute or two, and when we saw her in Black Christmas 2019, I didn't recognize her from Fright Night, and I also don't think I recognized her from Green Room, even though I knew that she was in that movie. I knew the name. I, I have haven't recognized her, but I think I got her, got it down now. I feel like she's got a pretty like immediately recognizable look. She does, yeah. You gotta yeah get those does. numbers up. Yeah, I guess just between Black Christmas and this, it was like a decade, right? So, kind of a different haircut. Yeah, probably. Different haircut in all three. Yeah. 
I think maybe like a decline in Star too. I haven't seen them in, in nearly as many things lately. I feel like I've seen them in more things over time, not less. Maybe I don't know. I feel like there were really there was like a zeitgeist then in 2011, 2013, the early days. I don't know. What do I know? I don't, apparently I know nothing, and I jump onto all the things that aren't true. Nobody said that. You're well, although being dramatic, hot dogs are a sandwich. Nobody asked. Merriam-Webster agrees. I did ask. I, we got to admit that. Unless <laughs> you, you cut out again. that question so that co- <laughs> Mitch is just bringing it up throughout the podcast. That would be so funny. Um, yeah, if people want to watch now. another movie where... Well, we'll see if I feel like it when I edit the podcast or not. Um, if you want to watch another movie with Anton Yelchin and Imogen Poots in it that I think is really good, go watch Green Room. Great movie. Really cool movie. Have you seen that one, Mitch? Another movie with Nazis in it. That now we're two, two for two on Nazi movie mentions. Yeah, no, I have seen that movie. That's a really raw movie. God, that movie's awesome. I haven't seen it since it came out, um, but I remember liking it when I saw it. Yeah, me too. I have. I haven't given it the rewatch. I want to um, because it's a great movie, and also because my only negative of that movie that I recall feeling at the time is that I didn't like Patrick Stewart's casting. Hopefully, Allison Jones didn't do that one and ruin her track record. I didn't did like Patrick like Stewart casting? in that role. It did to me. Yeah, it did. Um, but I know, but I know s- some people really like his performance, so I want to check it out again and pay attention to that. Yeah, but great I was movie. Down. Yeah, cool movie. Just a cool setup as well. Like, uh oh, you've upset the neo Nazis at the punk show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool. It's a real that could happen to you in real life. People, be careful. Don't uh what's the what's the moral there? Don't upset Nazis. I think that's the moral. Or if they if if they're coming at you, <laughs> murder them. I right, guess. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and make sure to keep your arm inside the green room at all times. Yeah. They can't see you if you don't leave the green room. It's like dinosaurs. Uh Tony Collette is in this movie. That was such a pleasant surprise. Yeah, they're great. Uh, Sixth Sense, Hereditary, Little Miss Sunshine, Knives Out, and most famously, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. Nice. Uh, we've also got Dave Franco playing Mark. Super uh, bad fame. Super bad disaster artist. Now You See Me, uh, bit part in If Beale Street Could Talk, which is an awesome movie. <clears throat> Uh, Reed Ewing plays Ben. Spent a while trying to remember where I recognize that guy from. The answer is Modern Family. <laughs> Will Denton plays Adam. Uh, he was in The Post and worked on Cam, uh, the which I think is the webcam horror movie, or maybe it's Cam it, Girl horror movie. I don't remember yeah. specifically. Yeah, both. Yeah, I guess it, if it's one, it's the other. I guess yeah. Um. And then we've got Sandra Vergara as Ginger and Emily Montague as Doris. We've got Chelsea Taveras as Kara, uh, who was in The Last of Us Part 2. Lisa Loeb is Victoria Lee, which is Ed's mom. House of Haunted Hill. Classic. We've seen it. Uh, Twister, Legally Blonde. And then Brian Husky plays Rick Lee. He's been in a whole bunch of shit. Uh, Veep, Bob's Burgers, Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Uh, Something called Space Spring Break 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Wait, those um, are all different movies or that's one title? Apparently, it's eight different things. Oh, my gosh. Well, and we got to get to that. That's like called, 10% of all sequels. 
and something called Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis debate children. Uh, which I, I included that, uh, because the title made me laugh. Yeah, I think that was like a YouTube series. Yeah. Uh, Gracie Phipps plays B. Uh, they were in something called Teen Beach 2. Are you guys familiar with this? I am, yeah. yeah I had never heard of this. ABC this is, Spark. Yeah. So I've ne- I had never heard of this. I just want to talk about this really fast. I know we need to get to Fright Night, but we're already here. Um, so the gimmick, this is a Disney Channel original movie. And the gimmick of this movie is that there's two kids, a boy and a girl, and they live in like a surf town and they surf and they hang out and one of them has to leave or something. And then before that, like friendship breakup happens, they go surfing and they get sucked into an interdimensional rift that transports them into a movie musical in the 1960s. So they like show up on a beach and they don't know where they are. And a bunch of people are just like dancing in unison on surfboards. Sounds rad. And I've never seen the movie, but that is such a fucking incredible gimmick. So did you just learn about that because you had to click on Teen Beach yes. 2 to learn what it is? Well, I yeah, I just saw Teen Beach 2 and I was like, what is that? And then I clicked it and then I watched the trailer and I'm like, this is incredible. Nice, dude. Just a very funny. It's It literally looks like if you stretched a joke from the Brady Bunch movie into a full movie. Dude, I, I predict this movie in our future. I think we'll have to. It's giving Parent Trap 3 big time. Oh, we'll have to watch this one. Yeah, it sounds like too good of an opportunity to miss yeah. a film like that. I don't appreciate your sarcasm. Sarcasm? It sounded sincere to me. That was an earnest. We got two more credits, fellas. D. Bradley you're... Baker as vampire vocals. And Chris Sarandon has a cameo. He plays Jerry in the first movie. Here he plays a guy that gets in a car accident. Yeah, unrelated to the movie. It's just <laughs> showing the, the terrors of daily <laughs> The horrors life. of car accidents. So this, uh, if you know the gist of Fright Night, you know the gist of this. Though there are a few details that have been changed or, or updated or tweaked slightly. So this is set just outside Las Vegas, Nevada, out in the desert. And, city of um, dreams. City of nightmares. Um and we've got Charlie, who's uh, in this case, uh, you know, he's he's kind of you know, the man about town a little bit. He's got a motorcycle. He's got a girlfriend. He's got like a, a big friend group at school. He's just sort of vibing. And uh, but we we meet his other friend Ed, who uh, we learn is absolutely one hundred percent convinced that the reason their friend is missing is because that Charlie's new neighbor Jerry, played by Colin Farrell, is uh, absolutely a vampire. Um, and you're like, huh, that seems outlandish. Why would that be the case until, uh, he is unceremoniously murdered, uh, by Jerry, uh, in vampire mode and realizing what had happened and doing some digging. Charlie then becomes convinced that yes, our neighbor is absolutely a vampire and needs to do something about it, but has to try to convince people that, Hey, no, I'm not insane. And I'm not just going back to my weird dork friends uh doing some fancy fantasy stuff our neighbor's actually a vampire murderer and we need to stop this uh to do so he seeks uh the the advice of the world's greatest vampire expert who is essentially just chris angel in this version um he he is like a hard rock cafe kind of guy like a hard rock cafe illusionist like stunt magician (laughs) yeah i got like chris angel meets russell brand is what i yeah i I wrote russell brand in my notes yeah, Chris Angel wrestled. That's actually like exactly what I wrote. Those two people. Yeah. 
Uh, and then at first he's like, get fucked. And then he's like, wait, I think this is a real vampire. And they have to, you know, team up and stop the bad vampire, man. That's the gist of it. Trucked through that a little fast because, you know, we got to get to the movie at some point. Uh, and what better time than an hour and five minutes into the raw recording of this podcast? Yeah. If this is, if you're hearing this and you look and it's 25 minutes into the podcast, Corey did Just, you all a huge favor. And I cut out 45 minutes of. He deleted my arguments, which were sound, wrong, logically which were and wrong. otherwise, and they were if wrong. It's shortened, no. Just know that you've been lied to. They were wrong. Okay. It's not a pie. No, also, it is a pie. Ah! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I missed you it. Keep your story straight. You fell from uh, my trap. It's not not a pie. You got bugs you bunnied. That I'm censoring. No one will ever hear my my flub. I just get rabbit season, duck season. Oh my god, <laughs> that's horrible. Um. Anyway, to distract from my failures, uh, Mitch, what'd you think about Friday night? Not bad. Um, I was I had my defenses, my hackles up going into this movie because a coworker <laughs> what, said you worried it was a shepherd's pie. <sighs> what does that even mean? He's scared. I just scared I just of the truth. Know, I, I go through my life trying to figure out, you know, like how can I find some peace? How can I live with peace? And I think this podcast is not the answer. Yeah, this podcast and your job is not the answer. Oh, well, that too. Yeah, that too. Twenty-four hour news cycle. Anyway, um, I was talking to a coworker, and they were like, "Fuck this movie. This movie sucks." Um, and uh, so I. I I was already kind of like ready to not like it, um, but I found this movie really charming, and I didn't like want to like this movie, but I did, and uh, for like a, a number of reasons. And I think it's just because it, it follows that Fright Night sort of formula that I saw in the second one that mostly worked for me. I think you have some charismatic performances. At first, I was like, "Man, what's David Tennant doing as like this guy?" And I want my I want my Peter Vincent in a wood bound office in in like a tweed hunting jacket what's this why is he chris angel um but there's enough sort of charming things going on that it it all kind of works in the performance click and uh i think it's it's sort of fun seeing this material uh revisited in the 2010s kind of a a a fun period to, to revisit so um it worked for me i'm not like crazy about the movie but you've got a really good cast and some solid performances and some writing that works when you say you didn't want to like this movie mitch what do you mean by that well i feel like i I missed this movie originally because i didn't want to see it because i felt like i would just like turn my nose up at it for some reason Um, for some reason yeah i don't know um but uh yeah, I, I I feel like I didn't want to like this movie because a I think just like uh, endorsements I can remember hearing from long ago and also just like more recent ones I've heard people uh, talk down on this movie so I was kind of ready not to like it and I wasn't sure like if I wanted to like it because I know like a lot of remakes from this period I don't like um, and a lot of sort of theatrical movies from the 2010s I think are, are kind of a rough experience. Um, so I wasn't like, I was kind of like ready to not like it. 
Um, I often like sit down and I watch your remake of like a big franchise and I'm like, okay, like I'm ready to rip it to shreds because I think, you know, the studio is just going to go a certain way with it and you can kind of predict all the twists and turns. And while it is a predictable um, movie, I think it's it's also very... Um, I mean, it's literally charming. a remake. It right? seems like a super Hulakian's wet dream too. I feel like that's kind of why I also wanted to dislike it. I don't see that. Uh, you don't have to explain what David that is. Tennant as your as your central vampire killer. That's just a guy from Doctor Who oh, was in it. I see. I see. And then I it's see. got the sort of supernatural thing, kind of the strong it's just thread. Got a vampire in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it also has, I think, like an edgier sort of like 2010 kind of like hard rock redressing of it uh, that I think appeals to that sort of show sensibilities. Right. But it is feels- it for that or is it just from when it was made? It could be from when it was made, but I re- I remember like a lot of people who were kind of like into that sort of subculture were really into this movie. I think for that reason, it feels almost tailored to that uh, in my huh. uh, appraisal. I don't know anybody who saw this movie when it came out. So. Yeah, so I just. I didn't want to like it, but I did. It was good. What about you, Liam? Did you? Well, first of all, did you want to like it? And then did you like it? I did want to like it. Yeah, yeah. I um, I think the more movies I like, the better. Um, so I'd like to like them all, and I I hope that I liked this one because um, I kind of felt bad that I had forgotten a lot of it and and had um just let it go in one ear and out the other um and so i i thought it would be fun if i came back to it and learned that my taste changed or at least had been refined enough that i was able to uh really stand up for it um and uh or at least have a stronger opinion on it um so i i was hoping i would like it i was and and i did i really did um i I really like the theme that this movie stresses more than the first movie. I think this is a clever change from the first movie is they they dig more into the relationship between Ed and Charlie um and they they switch that dynamic around a bit in this movie it's Ed who who um catches on to uh, the neighbor being a vampire as opposed to our main character, Charlie. And so Ed is trying to tell our main character that that his neighbor is a vampire. Charlie doesn't believe him. Ed gets killed off really early in this movie, which is also different than the original. And that is what inspires Charlie to look more into it. And then when Ed comes back as a vampire, they they can, again, play on this idea that Charlie didn't believe him. Um, and I think that is just really, really clever because I think that relationship is sort of there in the original where Ed is kind of this this weirdo um, uh, who, who feels alone and he gets seduced by, by Jerry. But I think connecting him more to Charlie and this high school idea that you have friends and uh and then one day they're just not really your friend anymore mm-hmm. um and you, you guys grew apart or maybe it, like in the case of charlie one of you kind of made the decision where I'm, I'm gonna move on from this i'm gonna get in with a bit of a cooler crowd the stuff that we used to do um I don't want to i don't want to do it anymore at least i don't want to do it publicly because there's kind of this idea in the in the movie that charlie is is it he's actually a dweeb he's goofy he's not all that popular he's got a hot girlfriend um sort of video drops yeah yeah um 
And so I, I really liked that thematic lining to the movie. Um, and I wish they would have gone a bit farther with it. I wish that it didn't feel as rushed to me as it does in some places. Um, but I still really appreciate that it, that it's in here. And I think there, it gives yeah. for a lot to talk about. I love Colin Farrell's performance as the vampire. He's one of my favorite actors. Um, and I really liked him at the time as well um, as an actor because I was a huge Daredevil fan as a kid and he plays Bullseye and Daredevil. Um, but I don't remember really being taken by his performance in this movie the first time around and and this time i can i can really remind myself oh yeah i i think he does the sexy casual sinister soulless thing really well i think he is um the next best thing to uh chris sarandon um if not if not equal to i i think he he does a great job i i think the casting really all around the board is just awesome allison jones um pulling it off and i think that it's just it's a really fun um singular story and i wish that i liked it more as as a kid or at least i wish i remembered that i liked it more if i did like it i'm not sure um because i think maybe as a kid I wanted every movie to really blow me away or stick with me, have something that me and my friends could grab onto. And this wasn't one of those movies. Um, and I think because of that, I sort of let it languish in my estimation. Um, and I, I tended to round down as a kid. Like if a movie wasn't amazing, then maybe I, I was like, oh, I, I could have not seen that. I don't like it all that much. Whereas now I think I am much more of an optimistic, positive, looking for the best in movies uh, kind of viewer. And so I round up. And so this movie didn't have everything in it that that really took me uh, to being like, this is as good as the original. This is a, an amazing 2010s horror movie. Because um, it, it has aspects to it that I wish had been tweaked. Um, and then I think it could have got up there. And as is, it doesn't quite do it. Um, but it has so many cool things that, that I think are really emotionally heavy and also action, I, action heavy. I like the action. I like the comedy. I like the characters. So um, instead of rounding down and saying that this movie is sort of uh, is, is just okay, <clears throat> I, I think now I, I round up and I'm like, this movie is pretty freaking sweet. So I, I'm really glad I saw this. Nice. I, I am glad you mentioned uh, <laughs> Ed, the character, because the performance there by the by the actor, McLovin, you know, his performance is extraordinary. There's almost like shades of super bad in his character in this role. It's kind mm -hmm. of like the same role, but what if he becomes like vengeful to his friends later for being social climbers yeah yeah and i think that's a that's just a, a great bit of casting yeah. as well you know there's a reason this dude popped up in in movies around this time playing mm -hmm. similar roles you know grown-ups um and neighbors he's he's just a great side character who feels like someone you actually know um mm -hmm. And and I I think even in 2011 I was like man aren't we aren't we kind of past the McLovin guy and maybe I didn't give him enough credit and I loved Superbad back then but now I think he really I think it was a great choice I think he fills it out really well I wish that his character was given a bit more time um, 
to not be so aggressive and frantic. I think he he ends up being like a bit meaner than than I would like in the way he's coming at Charlie and coming at Charlie's girlfriend. And I think I would have felt for the relationship more and his eventual resurrection if I had um, seen in him a bit more of... Uh, if I had felt worse for him that Charlie left him and I did feel bad for him, but I also thought, man, you're kind of a, a bit of an immature dick. And so um, I kind of understood the relationship fraying. Uh, whereas I think, I, I, I think it would have been better if I had f- sided more with, um, with the Ed character than I do the Charlie character. Mm-hmm. What about you, Corey? General thoughts. Um, so about, I don't know, 30 minutes into the movie, um, I was like a third of the way through, I got on discord and I said, bro, I'm like a third of the way through the Fright Night remake and it's incredible with like five question marks to a group of people that all sort of agreed that, yeah, it's really good. And, uh, yeah, it's really fucking good. It's like really good. So that Um, held up all the way through. Uh, for the most part, yeah, I stand cool. by it nice. certainly. Um, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Um, not that my expectations were low or anything, but just that it's so good. You know, in so many ways, is what caught me out. Like, so many aspects of it are high points or strong points. I think maybe it doesn't hundred percent stick the landing. I don't know if I'm in love with the 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 climax and falling action of the movie mm-hmm. um which does also wrap itself up pretty fast but I think uh I was really hooked for especially the first two acts and uh I thought the ways they they modernized it because you know as much as Mitch is right in that OG Peter Vincent's fun there just wasn't a sensible parallel to be making for 2011 that a kid would be obsessed with like tweed Woodman or whatever. So I, I think that the Chris angel thing really caught me out and I enjoyed that a lot, but I also think it's like high school movie fundamentals are, are really strong. And I think all the performances are really good. That's a good point. And also Colin Farrell in particular is like exceptionally good. Um, and it carries the movie, the original movies, like weird sexual energy, uh, through, I think in particular what Colin Farrell is doing, dude is horny as hell. Um, there's a point where he takes a bite of an apple and it seriously looks like he's going to just come like, it's insane. Like, it's so weird. <laughs> it's awesome. It's so funny. But, um, yeah, I was really, really impressed. And like, you know, there was points where like I thought the music stood out and no surprise, it was a Game of Thrones guy. The casting is great. I think all the performances are really good. Um, I was generally on board with, with the updates and stuff. I just think it sort of peters out a bit in the climax. I think that's fair. I think yeah. all these kinds of movies do often. I think it has a stupid ending, uh, but. Well, you don't want to, you don't want to fuck. Yeah. You don't want them to fuck. No, of course I do, but it's just kind of like it's just sort of silly. But whatever, it's a fine enough landing, I suppose. Is is that what you mean by the ending? The yeah, the, the, with the, the you specifically mean that part? Yeah, 
I th- I thought that was cute. I thought that was a nice little epilogue where they yeah. finally they finally get to uh consummate their relationship the and and not in like a not in like a uh a melodramatic or like a, a saccharine way just in a in a way where like they've had a healthy relationship the whole movie which i think is really cool um they've tried to get it on a couple times and they've just been interrupted so i, I thought it was kind of nice that at the end they get to do it um uh and you get um in in like a cutesy way it's not like there's a grand sex scene or anything they just they just start to make out and then you also get um peter vincent getting a, a couple cute lines in there and i think it also is is a good setup for a sequel that never happened where we have this trio and they're kind of all on good terms and rest in peace evil ed i guess but i i thought it was a cute ending i will say up front um as good as this was i am grateful they didn't make more i mean there is there is a sequel Corey. to this yeah none of the same cast but there is a sequel fright night part two uh new blood no shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning this right now. Perhaps the, the biggest TMAO movie of all time. Really? Well, I mean, in that nobody has heard of this. Yeah, yeah. No, I you're, stand, you're right. I stand yeah, by yeah. my point. In any case, I guess what I mean is I'm glad that they didn't like try to like franchise it out and make like four of these. Like with the same people or not. Like I think this is just a good execution of that remake you know like in that way and they just kind of got it in one and we don't really need to to do it again because even as good as fright night part two the original is you can also even see there that like gimmick wise it's running out of steam a little bit (laughs) so i think it probably works well to do it this way but um yeah it's funny i was reading roger ebert's review of this movie which he gave a three out of four. Interesting. He would have been living then still. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there was a line in it that made me kind of laugh. Uh, let me find it. Uh, Fright Night, directed by Craig Gillespie and written by Marty Noxon, is several degrees superior to Final Destination 5, which opened a week earlier. Uh, I say this huh. I say this despite my dread certainty that it will be followed by Fright Nights 2, 3, 4, and 5, in which a series of increasingly suspicious neighbors will be introduced in increasingly exotic locations. My own needs are modest. Two movies based on this premise in 26 years is sufficient. So one, he's ignoring the original Fright Night Part 2. And he was exactly correct (laughs) in that they rush produced another one in an increasingly exotic location with an increasingly ridiculous neighbor. And uh, we just didn't need it. And it didn't work out. And it did not work out. So anyway, shout out to my man, Raj. I, yeah, I also just thought it was funny that he went out of his way to dunk on Final Destination 5 for no reason. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I if I would have seen it a week prior if, if that's how they came out. And that stuck with me uh, much more. But may, maybe I'm more of a Fright Night guy now. I'd have to check them out again. But What's the best kill in Final Destination 5? Um, if this is the right film... Because uh, I get them kind of confused. The gymnast, uh, gymnast on like a uh, a balancing beam. If that's in Final Destination Five, I think that's the best one. Okay, noted. I will keep that in mind for future tasks. Yeah, and viewings. Um, one thing I'd like to start with. I know we already talked about Christopher Mintz Plas, so I think he's doing a great performance. But every time I watch an Anton Yelchin movie, I get 
sad a little bit because every time I watch any performance he's ever done, I'm just mad that we got robbed of more of him because he's so good in everything. (laughs) And this is no exception at all. I think he's great. I think he's really, really, really good here. And I think he's doing a good job, not just being like charming, affable protagonist man, but like Liam was talking about, like having that sort of point Mm. where you pivot away from like one sort of friend group or person or personality trait. And just like the, the teenage dumb kind of like immediate turn you can have against something like when he's first going through the house with Ed and he's just being such a dick about, like being there and what they're doing and why it's stupid. And I I regret not having written any of the specific lines down, but there's like this specific brand of like the kind of teenage contempt you can only vocalize towards somebody you actually know. And I feel like he's really just executing on a very specific feeling. Um, and, but then can also do, you know, like charming, likable, affable guy. Like when he's talking with his mom or with Amy, I think he's doing a great, just like, dude you would want to hang out with kind of thing yeah he has a an amazing ability to have chemistry with with anyone um i think all the all the different places he has to go in this movie the different people he gets paired up with peter jerry amy uh evil ed i think in all of those he he brings something new to the table it brings something different out of this character's personality um you know that idea that uh everyone behaves differently depending on who they're talking to. And I think that's true. It doesn't mean you're putting on a face. It just means that different people bring out different parts of your personality. And he does that and it feels so natural. Um, and so I, I, I love him in this role. I had heard over the last, uh, um, you know, particularly, you know, after he died and people were talking about the movies he was in, people would say Fright Night. And I would think, man, I don't remember him in that movie at all. Uh, I love him in Green Room. And that's where I first noticed his name and, and took note of what he looks like and stuff. But at this point, he had just slipped by me. Um, and I just I didn't remember him in the movie. I remembered McLovin because I knew McLovin. And that was it. Um, but in watching it back, I think he really does bring the perfect... Um, everyman quality to it um with just a bit of extra spice like i think i think the everyman in the original fright night that actor he might even be a bit too everyman for me i i love him in that movie um but i think he he still feels like he could be substituted with other actors to me um not in terms of casting but just in terms of like the way he looks and the way he feels um but anton yelchin i think he 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 just has this unique quality to him um where he he feels like a nerdy guy who then became popular but then actually isn't all that popular he's still too geeky for the geeks but the hot popular girl likes him because he's he's got this uh likable quality to him i i just i totally feel it um and I think it's it's really heartbreaking that that he died so young because he just in so many amazing movies. You, if you look at his uh, filmography, he's done so much, and he was so young. Like this guy was in demand. Um, he was twenty seven. 
Uh, so, so, I mean, he was younger than us in this movie, which is is just yeah. incredible. So and, and a monstrous uh, way to go too. Such a sad, yeah. a sad waste mm-hmm. of, of life. I thought that happened. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, but he is he is a really good sort of like young leading man here. You're, you're, all your points are really great, and I think that I don't have too much else to say about him other than the fact that that yeah, he's he's so well cast here. He's in his element. I think like it's you kind of want like more of like a muted affable performance here and he does it so well. Yeah. And like the sort of like wit that he has, isn't Mm -hmm. like unbelievable. It's sort of like the, the kind of awkward sarcasm that again, like you say to your mom, Mm -hmm. like, and he's, he's sort of delivering on that pretty well. It doesn't feel Um, written. It feels kind of authentic coming from, which I guess is also a credit to the screenwriter too. Yeah. And I mean, that's not a huge surprise knowing what she had written before. And like, you know, you can kind of, I haven't seen much Buffy, but I I guess, you know, if if you wanted to find somebody to write your update of a high school vampire thing, I guess that's the person you'd probably want. So good point. Um I also think that uh I think Imogen Poots is really good, and I think the main reason is that she and Charlie both, like Charlie and Amy both managed to not feel like they're just like the archetype high school character and that they've both got like actual dimension like i think what's interesting is that like the 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 obstacle in their relationship that sort of catalyzes alongside the the vampire stuff is just sort of a lack of open communication like he didn't get caught in like a compromising situation that looked like he was making out with another girl and then they just didn't talk and then they just hated each other and you spend the whole movie being like, well, if they just had a two second conversation, it would be solved. Like the the issue out in the open is like an express confusion around a lack of communication, in particular around sex, but also just in general. And they actually do just kind of talk about it. And, you know, there's like normal human conversations happening and she you know, want like senses that something is wrong beyond what he's articulating and like wants to address that, but also doesn't want to feel like she's being having her time wasted. Like, I really like the scene when he's first like researching vampires in the library and she's like, what are you doing? And he's just like, uh, watching porn. Oh, that killed me. Amazing delivery. And then she's just like, okay, well, like, do you want to hang out basically? And he's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta. This she's like, okay, well, you get back to your porn, and like, and like that line's funny, but it's also, it's such an interesting line to put there because it's not just a bit, and the way that she says it sounds more like acknowledging that she's not being told why for a reason that he has, and not like just making fun of him for the sake of doing a joke in a movie. Like the way that she says it is just like, okay, like it's got the tone of like, okay, well, you do this, and like talk to me later not like strictly speaking okay weirdo go do that um and i think that she's doing a good job not falling into the just like oh wow she's just being a bitch kind of thing like she feels very real and like actually connected to this other person which i feel like you don't get a lot of yeah it's important to have characters like that in the movie that it's otherwise otherworldly you know yeah so i thought she was great too 
Yeah, I I loved her, and maybe these performances were just too subtle for me as a kid to uh, they really are pretty remember. subtle. Yeah, um, but now I, I'm totally with you. I love um, when they first go to school together, right at the beginning of the movie, and she's like telling him that he puts on a worried face and he furrows his brows in a certain way. It it just yeah. felt so so naturalistic and. Um, uh, I, I like w- gradually discovered that they weren't just good friends and that they were in a relationship. And I like that the movie had me um, figure that out as opposed to her just driving up to his house and uh, um, they like, like making out make out. Yeah. And, and like Ed says something about like how uh, you never been God, the you same guys after you had this girlfriend out. or yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it, this movie is a lot more subtle than that. And I think their relationship feels very real. I think um, what you said, Corey, that porn conversation is a great setup, a great joke. And then it ends up, paying off when they have a deeper talk later about um how he hasn't been letting her in as to what's going on and and how um she likes him for him you know he thought that she thinks he's cool uh that he's become a cool kid and that's how he was able to get her but she says no i i i know that you're a dweeb and i like you because you're different you're not like all these other popular dudes and i think that's sort of exemplified by the fact that the stereotypical hot popular guy who bangs they get to be the caricatures they're a caricature and they get offed so unceremoniously so quickly um and I think the the movie really is playing with uh, with characters um, and and giving them giving them depth and giving by giving the mom an ex, a bit of an extended part as well. Oh, the mom's to the awesome. Original. Tony Collette is so good. What, man. what can she do? She's so yeah, good. I know. Yeah, she she's incredible, and I love that they gave her that part. Not only because of the the character work that gets to get done about. Um, uh, like his mom wants to have her own life and there's this handsome neighbor who's moved in and she just wants to be friendly with him and and uh, she wants to answer the door if she wants to but and can't let him let into the house yeah yeah and so i think that's fun to play with and then it also makes for this great great action set piece where she's driving a car and they're all piled in together and they have this monumental like bonding moment because mm. uh they just have to get away from uh jerry chasing them and banging into their car after he burned their house down i thought it was just yeah it, it they was don't to really borrow do- a 2011 word it was epic <laughs> <laughs> they don't really do a whole lot with her character after that chase and subsequent hospitalization not that you really can when you're like completely incapacitated but it is that sort of tongue-in-cheek bit where they're like oh mom's religious and they just leave all like the crucifixes and garlic yeah. in her uh in her room is really good yeah yeah and i th- I thought that was fair i thought that they they gave her a, a good amount of time but at the at the core of it it's the kid's story it's it's charlie's story and it's yeah. amy's story and so um you give her her moment and then she's in the hospital and then and then you uh you uh make sure that the audience knows she's gonna be okay i thought that was all right if if memory serves i haven't seen the original but but um like in the in the second one like parents in the in these fright night movies are, are usually like at odds with their kids and don't believe them um i don't know if that's true in the first one but um so she kind of goes against 
uh type like or against like archetype and, and these kinds of movies with that sort of yeah, I, experience i think with this movie in general it, it kind of does that because it's it's mm-hmm. it's weird to have such a brief window of time from i'm going to tell you it's a vampire to everybody seeing yeah. and believing like they don't really spend a lot of the time of charlie spending like days and days having to try to convince people that he's being serious like mm-hmm. it all happens over the course of what was maybe the equivalent of like 15 in world minutes like going from okay i'm doing this because it's a vamp he's a vampire and you can't do this and then she's like oh this is the bit you were talking about and he's like no it's not a bit and then they all just go oh he blew up our house this isn't a bit i like that it doesn't waste a lot of the time going through the motions of that and just getting kind of to the point yeah and I also and- oh yeah good it, well, it it does that in a lot of ways. It does that at the beginning of the movie as well by having Ed already know that he's a vampire. He's already done yeah. this work. Um, and uh, and then you sort of have to catch up. you got to play catch up with this conversation about how they used to be friends and now they're not friends anymore. Um, and though I wish that um, Ed's character was a bit more fleshed out beyond just being a vehicle for that theme. I think that starting the movie with that theme, having him get offed so quickly, but we still know what he means to Charlie and then coming back is, is, is really clever um, structuring that I think a lot of other movies wouldn't do. I think this is, this is like a very, um, atypical example of a typical film like it it feels typical but then when you actually compare it beat for beat to other movies of this type i think it it unfolds in a pretty unique way yeah i also like the scene a lot where charlie has to go to ed's house Mm -hmm. to like go he wants to go check his vampire evidence yeah but like obviously only his parents are home and they're just like oh man like you just missed him but like it's just nice to see you and like it does a good job just being like so he clearly used to be over all the time and i think because it doesn't dwell on it but there's like yeah they said like you got big so like, it's been long enough that like he's changed like demonstrably and then he's like can i just go to his room and they're like yeah and the dad goes to the point and he's like yeah it's upstairs i know like this this weird like awkwardness of like how are we navigating this? Like, I was surprised at how much focus the movie ultimately puts on that. Cause it's really more like, it's more about that than it is about like the relationship with Amy or, you know, anything with Peter Vincent or anything, even with Jerry, like it, it is very particularly about Charlie feeling like he needs to make good on letting his friend down pretty terminally. Um, and then sort of the, the stuff with Amy kind of secondarily, which I think was an interesting decision because in the first movie, it's kind of, that's that's the the gist of it really so yeah and i think this this telling is actually a stronger approach because i think um it ties both of those relationships together really well one sort of begets the other um this idea that he has has left ed behind and 
um, you're right that the, the parents say, you know, it's it's been a while and, and you look so different. But then um, the conversation with Ed and Charlie, Charlie says to Ed, this was fun when we were eight. And then um, Ed says back to him, try 16. So yeah. they've been hang, you know, they've been doing this um, and hanging out and making these dumb videos um, at least until they're 16. And w- what age would they be now? Maybe 17. Maybe. And so I think, but you I think never be squid. Man. <laughs> <laughs> but I think your point is well taken, Corey, that like, it seems like it's been a long time because when you're that age, 16 to 17, a whole grade that can be a long time i think about where i started high school and only four years later where i ended up and different friends i had in different grades that stuff moves quickly and and you get a girlfriend and it's gonna move even quicker and so i think that tying the whole movie up in this theme of not taking your friends for granted and acknowledging every part of yourself um the goofy part and the the serious part the part that wants to mature but also the part that wants to be childish sometime recognizing all those things is what leads charlie to be able to um be even closer with Amy because she accepts all those parts of him, the dweeb and, uh, and the cool guy. And so, um, even though there's a whole lot of focus on the relationship between Ed and Charlie, it ends up making the relationship between Charlie and Amy even stronger because by the end of the movie, they're able to appreciate each other even more. So I think it's just really tight script writing. Yeah, and on the flip side, on the antagonist side of the ball, um, I really like what they're doing with Jerry because he's just sort of... It feels like he gives way less of a fuck. Like, the fact that he'll just walk up to a car and it's barely nighttime and he's like, I'm going to eat these two teens. Or, like, that he's reconstructing his house to have cells. Like, there's there's a degree of, like, real sort of, like, ominous kind of terror to it that feels different in the 80s one because if it's present there's such a theatricality to it with like the decor and the location even like the lighting and just how it's presented but this is just like this is a drywall room that i made to keep bodies in it feels like serial killery and it's really like it's a very different approach but then when you see him like coming door to door or whatever just talking he's still got this like sly like sexy kind of thing going on that's a really interesting dichotomy between the two things i would also be remiss if i did not give a shout out to uh roommate sean who was the first person in my life that i ever heard say the phrase hey guy so when he says it in this movie i laughed extremely hard because i'd never heard anyone else say that and then for it to come out of like the fuck man vampire is just like kind of funny to me but um I i like what they're doing there too i think it's i think it's really interesting stuff and colin farrell was like what a inspired choice again for that yeah what did you think of uh colin farrell and that whole character mitch i thought it was great i thought it like a a really wonderful choice because he does sort of have that uh i don't want to say boy next door charm but man next door uh (laughs) charm very affable um the sex pest next door yeah kind of like has a sex appeal too uh he seems like the kind of guy who would like come over and help you if like you you needed like your toilet fixed or something he'd know how well he basically uh, does right like yeah, whatever and the he'd fuck be, was up with their yard and he'd be good like if if he seems like the kind of neighbor where if he asked for a six pack you'd give it to him 
and uh, you know that that whole kind of exchange. Maybe five, maybe five. Maybe you drop one on the floor because you suspect he's actually a vampire. Maybe. But um, no, I thought I thought Colin Farrell was really wonderful in this movie. Um, I think the sequence where he uh, bites like the the female sort of love interest at the at the nightclub and they're and they're pulling away our man's as it's happening is really yeah. good. They give him a like a good sort of sense of danger. Yeah. Dude, um, the club scene in the first movie too, just really quick, the, is fucking awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it is with the you know eighties clubs. Yeah. Always, always fun, but. Uh, yeah, he's he's really good in this. I would I would like to uh if there was another one I wish he could be in it, but of course he gets killed. So, you know. There it is, but he plays a great vampire. What can Colin Farrell not do? Wonderful performance from him. No no real notes. Honestly, like I it's it's a really well-cast movie and I was skeptical about the casting. Like for some reason I I I was off put by the cast originally, which is weird because these are all actors that I like, but I was just like, what? He's playing this. They're playing that. I don't like this, but honestly, everybody is on like a pitch perfect performance here. Um, do we know what kind of a success this movie had? Um, it made about 11 million more dollars than its budget. Okay. So not which a for, for a, no, for a, it, it cost 30 million. It made 41 considering, you want to make more than that to be like considered a, a like a yeah. It, it wasn't like a runaway hit, yeah. but it made the studio money. Yeah. How do we feel about any of the more technical aspects that we haven't gotten to? Well, actually, two two things. Ooh. One, how do we feel about and take these in whatever order you want? Because clearly, I think technical hit. So we'll do technical first. Mm-hmm. But also relocating the the movie to Vegas and like kind of the vibe. I think that that's kind of an undelivered uh, or an underbaked aspect of the movie. I feel like the a Vegas? character like Peter Vincent couldn't exist anywhere else because he's kind of your like washed up uh, Vegas magician. Well, he's not washed up. He's clearly like very famous. Uh, he's he's like on TV I wouldn't say shit. he's washed up, but he's drinking Midori. You know, I mean, straight Midori. My God, who does that? If anybody who isn't washed up, who drinks like that drinks midori like that is going to be washed up very soon that's like hangover in a glass yeah. you know it's only a matter i did of like how they justified the location not justified it but like what prompted the location change just being like this is a place that a vampire would go because of the way people live here and i was yeah. like oh that's that's smart it's a nightlife kind of town you know yeah place to go good point movie though that subdivision looks all kind of fucked up when the movie started i was like is this like some like alternate reality experimental subdivision why is it just like one weird looking neighborhood in the middle of the fucking desert the shot of the neighborhood looks really bizarre i think that's kind of the point um like probably it, it's, it's obviously it's clear sort of art direction right this sort of cookie cutter uh yeah but on the outskirts of vegas uh, but like there's another suburb but it's really far away like is that how city planning works that's all i'm wondering I know Vegas city planning is notoriously Vegas fucked. fucked. Yeah. yeah. So fair enough. Well, I mean, it, it is a city that should not exist. It, it's in the middle of the desert. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we solved that problem with like irrigation Thanks, Blake and Mead. gambling. <laughs> Blake Mead? Lake Mead. Haven't oh, you Lake. The, the I thought you meant like a guy named Blake Mead. And I was like, who? Uh, anyway, Lake Mead. Oops. Oops um, is this? In terms of the technical uh, aspects, I'm glad that they didn't make a lot of like CGI decisions that they 
would come to regret in years. I think the majority of the film is like practical effects, except for the finale, which I think is uh, like memeably bad. The, the, it's a bad choice to go with that CG. I think they should yeah, have done that. I, I think a lot of the vampire designs are bad. <laughs> That's but like my biggest it's not complaint. like bad CG everywhere. There's there is a handful of it, but there's also some good practical stuff too. Yeah, but I I don't like how it comes together. The CG in most cases is bad. The the stuff but from in, the stuff from well, it's maybe, but like the stuff from inside the car when they're in the chase looks horrible. It looks horrible. The ending is, is inexcusable. Horrible. <laughs> well, excusable that car chase looks there. so bad. And it looks like they've CG'd what was going on like outside of the car for some reason, despite the fact that they're spinning the camera in the car to create a feeling of being in the car, but then everything outside the car looks really fake and weird. Yeah, and they almost right. looked like green screened into the car, even though they're definitely in the car. Like it looked really grody. Like I didn't get I don't get why they approached it that way. Because like you're saying, like the rest of it does look, you know, pretty good. But also there's a lot of fake digital blood. There is. That's one that thing that looks really bad. <laughs> There's also a lot of, I think, blood that's real too that looks yeah. good. Um, but the digital blood looks so bad. <laughs> it's obvious when it's there, but it's really distracting. I think there's there is a good mix. Like I was expecting more CG than what we had, and I was pleasantly yeah. surprised. I mean, the three D shots are annoying too, but everything was coming in three D at that point. It was like yeah. peak three D fad is back. So yeah, you you really tell that the three D. I think in the like the the yeah. uh, 3d cg and like the driving scene and in the ending i think that movie um, would look like dog shit in 3d because it's already fairly dark at points and 3d like makes it darker yeah it really doesn't like it look bad dark movies yeah i i think it would too um <laughs> i would be interested to to see it in in 3d but i don't think it would add anything to it you no. know it's i think that was those... the point in time where like most movies that were coming out in 3d weren't having anything added by being in 3d i think that's just 3d generally i don't think i've ever seen a movie that ever has anything added to it with the third dimension like i, I don't think that there's a reason uh yeah yeah but in terms of like the way it's like shot and edited like it's all perfectly good no major issues it is with any it, of but that it is stuff. just sort of built with that uh distribution uh yeah. in mind you know and that's yeah, but everything, that everything in mind yeah but it is all just like very solidly done otherwise just some of it just looks like bafflingly not good yeah i um i think if this movie were more practical based i think it, w- it would be close to being as good as the original to me um mm-hmm. i think that it's it's a thing that that really dates the movie and a lot of what dates the movie i think is very charming um but the cg i think has just not aged well i think in most every instance where it's used um i uh i i I wish that it had been done differently and that doesn't mean it always looks bad to me i'm with Corey that i think the cg blood is pretty egregious whenever that happens because it's always it's flying through the air Mm -hmm. and it it just doesn't look right and i think it often detracts from um important impactful moments in the movie when you have blood flying it typically means something gnarly has happened the first instance i can think of is where um charlie saves one of his neighbors from uh um jerry's house after she's been bitten and they get into the sunlight and she immediately explodes i think that's an awesome concept and um i think that the the cg blood just kind of 
overwhelmed uh, the the image, and that's what I came away thinking was, oh man, it it sucks that that was CG and looked like that. I think there are a few instances where um, it's cool, but still it could be cooler if it weren't CG. Like at the end of that car chase scene where he... um, goes from jerry goes from looking like a vampire to back to human um i i think that's cool i like seeing that transformation i like seeing him in almost full vampire mode up until that point um and transitioning back um and uh i also like when ed um deteriorates after he becomes a vampire and and he gets he gets stabbed and he deteriorates but it happens so quickly um that even if it looks cool it's gone it's gone so quick and it doesn't have the the time to sit with me and really hit me whereas in the first movie when evil ed um dies in his vampire form it is one of the most amazing things i've ever seen it goes through so many phases um it just becomes like a body horror movie he's a dog and then he's uh rotting away and then he's a, a naked boy and it's just it's it's incredible whereas the cg in in whenever it's used here feels pretty rushed to me um which which sucks because i think um everything around it is awesome like i actually really love that car chase scene how the camera is just inside the car and spinning around the entire time uh sort of slowly um but continuously and then all the action is happening outside the car and we're just stuck with the characters and um feeling the disorientation that they must be feeling the action is happening from inside the car whereas other movies you know you might cut around so you can get a wide shot of like a car flipping or slamming into another car um this stays within the car and it does some cool stuff with reflections in the in the rear view mirror um uh so I think like there, I was actually all right with the CG because the the technicality of that sequence was so cool. But I think um, in the climax, you know, we get some stuff where the CG is entirely the focus. Like after Ed, or sorry, after Jerry gets stabbed in the heart and his which is badass to me that he's getting stabbed in his exposed heart. It's like a, it's like they had to kill him in three different ways. Like they first had to torch him and then they had to get his heart exposed and then they had to stake him in his exposed heart. It's just badass. But the fact that he's getting stabbed in a CG heart is kind of a bummer. And even worse than that, yeah, they should have killed he, Colin Farrell after he gets stabbed. He like shrieks directly into the camera with his CG vampire face and it just feels so dated um, as yeah. to like, this is a 3D thing. We're going to put it right in the camera. Um, and it, it's just it's just kind of a shame. It, it seems like it 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 is too it's thinking too short term as like this is going to look cool in the theater for the 3D audience in that moment. Um, but I think something that is a bit more slower and tactful, like that original deterioration scene in the first movie and the more subtle character dynamics in this movie, you know, I'm learning that these things have aged very well and have made the movie a lot better than I thought. Whereas even in 2011, um, 
this stuff felt like a dime a dozen. Every movie was 3D, had stuff coming right at the camera. And so it was just a trend at the time that didn't hit. But I think uh, there's still a whole lot of really cool technical stuff. And I love the practicals of uh, two people being on fire, rolling around with each other when he has to torch Jerry. I thought that was amazing, that fire stunt. It's literally just people on fire swinging around on a cable and just so cool. So I think that this movie... um, was not was not totally lost i think it was just it just kind of suffered from from the times and maybe some studio mandates or uh, something uh realizing that that he was going to do the torch move by lighting himself on fire was a fun realization because i had noticed beforehand that what he was wearing had like the fireproof certification badge on the back of the collar and i was like oh that's weird just like an inch like i just noticed that detail and then it was like oh He's going to light himself on fire. That's why he's wearing that. Yeah, I, I think I think that is a great um, climactic moment. And so the fact that it then kind of gets overridden by the CG, um, I think is a shame because that's a great climax. And I like that the movie sort of has two climaxes where you have one in, in Peter Vincent's Slayer when... Um, when Ed dies, I think I think that's fun as well that you got these two different fight sequences um i think i think that's fun yeah i am definitely a little bit less invested in the peter vincent angle in this movie than i am in the og one though i haven't seen the original but i'm compared to the second i would agree with that as well yeah he he grew on me um i think they they use him a bit more sparingly they don't they don't pace it out um in the same way they do in that first one um but it follows the same beats so so maybe i just felt less of peter vincent's presence and it does actually work out the same but but by the end he he had won me over i and i think it's uh it's a funny commentary of the times and i think it's a it's an apt update but um i i wouldn't have minded if he got a bit more time to shine peter peter vincent whereas he ends up feeling a bit ancillary because he uh he locks himself in this safe room um uh, so it just it feels like he's just a a method to get them into a cooler location but then you know what they tie it all together with his parents having been killed by jerry and i think that's really cool um and i end up being won over by by david tennant's performance and and his comedy and his like uh friendly bro-y relationship with charlie so i i do think it's a it's a neat update and i think that having the the old man tv host wouldn't really work anymore and so i think this is a, a cool way to take it honestly i'm more i if if it were for me even me in 2011 i'd probably be more down with the the wood the wood leather bound old brigade of vampire hunter you know the vincent price guy i'd be more down with that but i also probably wasn't like i was like a different kid than most people yeah Yeah, that just wasn't culturally relevant enough to do no it wasn't yeah like i just don't even know how you'd write that in even if you wanted that to happen you know um yeah, so I, th- I think it's a fair update. And as for the Vegas thing, I think I think it's really clever. I think that opening shot that's moving 
toward the suburb through these storm clouds and it has like old timey monster music i think is just incredibly evocative and mood setting and then you end up seeing the fright night title card and it looks like it's like gory like letters made of skin or something and it's hovering over the suburb i think it's just awesome um i think it's a cool way to give the movie a unique identity it makes sense for as to why they're able to just drive straight for so long during this car chase um and then it's it's also a cool way to tie into um god it's so hard to keep track of all these names uh peter vincent uh a cool way to tie into his his vegas residency and his his lavish high rise and stuff so i thought the vegas the vegas update was really clever yeah uh, also only vegas could host a character that ostentatious <laughs> right yeah why not yeah and in the first one in the first one does he have to go to la to get peter vincent does peter vincent live in la no, I actually haven't seen the first one. And the second one, I, I don't think so. <laughs> no, eh? no, actually, I haven't seen it. But in the, in the second one, he's not there. He might be there in the first one. He might be more successful. But in the second one, he's like some. He's down on his luck in the second one. Yeah, I yeah. Think he just has to go to the studio that they shoot the show at. He does, yeah. But mm. I'm wondering if that student studio is like in L.A. I think that's just like it's not that far from where he lives. I don't think right. I think it's I may- just California set. Right, so maybe Everybody he's is set in LA in like in like the past. Everyone knows that. Yeah, yeah. So if that's the case, I think that this is even a, a cooler update to just shift it a little bit to get to Vegas. You still get the city, but you also get the the isolated suburb. Um, and you know we've seen a whole lot of of uh, LA suburbs, so why not give give Vegas some action? So that begs that begs really one more question. Do you do you know what I'm thinking here? Shepherd's pie? No. Hot dog? No. Would you let Colin Farrell hit on your mom? I would. Yeah, I would. I think uh my mom um there's not many people out and about to to hit on people in in my town, so I think uh I think I think my mom could use a bit of um a bit of conversation like it might just be like a fun thing to do for a bit yeah she would appreciate it yeah let's just goof around you know and okay. and a, colin farrell he's irish my my parents are from newfoundland they would bond they would bond easy they would bond over their shepherd's pie that doesn't have crust on it <laughs> fuck yeah mitch oh i'd be <laughs> mad <Answer> the question. <laughs> i'd be mad you'd be mad yeah that Colin Farrell for hitting on your mom? Yeah. Interesting. What about you, Corey? I bet your mom would love to be hit on by Colin Farrell. That's why she had the DVD. I think she's down. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Colin, we'll if you're pay not you to do a cameo. <laughs> Colin, don't come around my mom. Yeah, don't come around <laughs> Mitch's mom. But me and Corey's moms, they're fair game. <laughs> We offer them up to you as a blood sacrifice. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. It doesn't need to be a blood sacrifice. <laughs> just, a, just a nice time. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's no clean segue out of that, is there? No. Do we want to... Are we frightening it up anymore? Do we miss any uh, crucial I've, I've been frightened enough this night. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to watch some porn. 
Sick. Nice. Okay. Well, let's not try to keep you waiting too long. Uh, what are we going to be doing next week, fellas? How about we illuminate the people? Yeah, sure. <laughs> let's do you, Liam. Oh, yeah. You want me to tell it? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's your pick. It's your no, pick, no, man. it's not my pick. It's a collective pick. Otherwise, I would get I would get one more pick than you guys this October. That's not fair. But though maybe uh, maybe this is sort of a me pick, but technically oh, it's not a me right. pick. We're going to oh. see Halloween Halloween ends, guys. So you know what's funny about that? We are going to go see Halloween ends. But so I said it that way partially as a joke that I did not identify whose pick it was. Not because I didn't remember. Although evidently I didn't, but because I wanted to say it that way to capitalize on the bit that I didn't remember, but then I forgot that it was Halloween release week. You lost it. So in not saying who it was, (laughs) I was still wrong because it was nobody. That's right. I'll kick us off in November, the week after, but this one is just, this is just our civic duty. This is unrelated. This is bigger than all of us. Oh yeah, this comes out on the. This is the last one. Yeah, for the month. Wait, wait, wait. Can we? Can we? Can we make? Can we make bets? Can we? Can we make? Can I ask a question? And I just want yeah. like a yes or no. Yeah. So I know that in a lot of movies, they they make it seem like, oh, the slasher villain is dead, and the next movie they're just like, well, here's a reason why he's not dead. In these movies, they've never in these like update trilogy movies they've never like quantifiably been like michael myers is fucked they've always sort of made it yeah no but what i mean is like in these movies specifically they've never really intentionally been like oh yeah he's definitely gone they've always been like nah he's still around but that's true in the original i mean i mean with donald pleasant unloads all six of his 38 you know and he still walks away yeah but what i yeah i guess what i mean is like just because these are the movies being made right now and they've Mm -hmm. never gone all the way unlike some of the other ones into trying to trick you into thinking that he's fully dead but they've literally decided to call this movie halloween ends which has never stopped a horror franchise before you know like friday the 14th for the final chapter was evidently there was like eight more um we'll get backstory we'll get a halloween begins yeah so but that's my question is in this movie will they definitively and conclusively say in the text of the movie, we have permanently killed Michael Myers and mean it. He's too valuable. There's no way. I don't believe I, it. I think they will do it. They will kill him. I think they're definitely going to kill Lori. And I think they're going to kill Michael with her. That being said, I think we will get more Michael Myers movies because... The studio knows that horror fans want it and that continuity doesn't exist anymore and they can kill him at the end of this series um, and whatever way they decide to bring him back, whether it references this or not, I don't think it will. I think they're just going to start over again. Um, I think think they're going to end him. Um, But I think there's going to be some freaky deaky stuff in this movie where... He he's gonna die, but there's gonna the be s- thorn? there's gonna be some sort of thing kind of like that where it's like, but maybe this could carry on in another way. That's what I think. I I think I agree with your interpretation. Also, I can't believe I remembered Cult of Thorn. It's huge, like, dude. It's crazy that I remembered that. <laughs> the cult, the cult, the um, Paul Rudd Cult of Thorn. 
Yeah, so we podcasted about Halloween Kills this time last year. So if anyone wants to catch up, it's a great episode. Um, we all uh, came to, a, I think, a pretty uh, surprising consensus, actually. Um, mostly consensus. Varying degrees of dislike on that movie, but I think they are, they're all very interesting Overall takes. Overall negative. <laughs> Overall negative, but interestingly negative. Um and so I am very interested. I am so excited to see where this movie goes. I think I'm going to like it. I really like the 2018 one. Halloween Kills let me down. Um, and I think this one is going to be weird enough because it's a closing chapter. I think they can get weird. I think I'm going to like this one. That's, that's, that's my guess. So I'm not, even though I didn't like Halloween Kills, I still have a whole lot of faith. And I'm going to see this the soonest showing I can. I'm very excited. Hell yeah. Uh, so with that in mind, um, Mitch, do you have anything you want to plug? Ah, vampire. I swear. Um, he's done one that sounded like exactly like that before. Also, Corey, you're dead wrong on Shepard's Pie, you motherfucker. <laughs> he has a dumb one that sounded like that before. No, it's a new, new, new update. It's a new patch. There's nothing new about this. Nothing new about the truth. What if I cut out the whole Shepard's Pie discussion and people will just like, what the fuck is he talking about? That would be cruel and inhumane, but I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> I'm going to download all these files so that if you do that, I'm releasing a director's <laughs> cut edit. I'll save mine too for posterity and we can just try and fill in the blanks and see if Corey... Yeah, they're going to do the Shepherd's Pie release cut. The Shepherd's gonna... Release the Shepherd's Pie cut. <laughs> the Shepherd's gonna... Cut, the manger edition. Nativity 2, Danger in the Manger. I'm Sorry, warning David you, Corey. I'm, I'm going to listen. Keep it I'm going to keep l- it in. Just in case... I'm going to listen to the full episode with a fine-tooth I just, comb. I just said I would keep it in. Now, now it's on tape. Now I can't possibly remove it. You, oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're being funny. <laughs> You're being the funny man. Very funny. You're making me laugh, funny man. Ha-ha. I just I got to make sure. Maybe you'll keep it in, but you'll cut around all our words <laughs> and put them into new sentences so that it sounds like the whole time we're agreeing with you. And I don't want that either. I mean, so you I'm, were agreeing with me. We like your opinion on Shepherd's Pie. Well, I mean, asked and answered. <sighs> More like Shepherd's Die, because it's Halloween. This is the part where somebody takes the Shepherd's Crook and pulls us all off stage, you know? Yeah! The sound of getting pulled off stage. Liam, do you have any plugs? Yeah, my film writing alter ego is Graham the Haunted Marshmallow. You can check me out on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at Mr. Corey Price. You can listen to two other podcasts that I make. Uh, there's Mortal Kombat. Nope. That's not what it's called. <laughs> there's there's MK PodQuest, which I do with our friend Neil. That's primarily about Mortal Kombat stuff. Recently, we watched the new Mortal Kombat Legends Snowblind animated movie. Uh, but we do all kinds of stuff. TV coverage, comic books coverage, 
Tekken coverage. <laughs> it's it's all there. Uh, that's MK PodQuest. And then Strat2 is an F1-related podcast today with our friend Callum. That's a Strat2 F1 on Twitter. Strat, like the short form for strategy, two, like the number after one. Um, you can also find all of those things centralized on the website, mortalcombatconquest.ca, which is the funniest URL in the world, and I'm grateful to have it. Thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what you think a shepherd's pie is. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jay Dickinson. You can find on Instagram. I'm opening up the conversation. Maybe they think it's a sandwich. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. That's allowed. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jay Dickinson. You can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, evil dies next week. Oh, they made another one?